morning, I woke up, and um, by the way, you'll notice that the sermon title is a meme for Jesus. Um, I'm not going to talk about memes at all. We have to get the bulletin printed on Wednesday, and by the time I finished studying the passage, it just didn't go the direction that I thought it was going. So that title has nothing to do with the message this morning. So I get up this morning, it's, I don't know what time it's early, it's too early, I'm feeling nasty, I, and as I'm doing stuff in the kitchen, um, my youngest son, two years old, he'll be three soon, um, he is yelling from his crib, somebody get me out, somebody get me out, so I head up there and I pull him out, and, and I lift him up, and I am, I'm tired um, I'm, I'm groggy, I don't feel great, I'm kind of thinking about the sermon, um, all this stuff. But I pick him up and I set him down, and he lays his head on my shoulder. And I'm walking towards his changing table, and I stop in front of it, and I just held him. Like, he just, he's got his head here, both his arms are kind of on my side, and I'm just holding him. And, and I'm thinking to myself, and this may sound like, how would you ever go to that place when you're right there? I would never be thinking this. And I started thinking, this is my mission in life. But I don't know that I'm doing a great job of it. Like, I don't take a whole lot of time to sit there and just hold him and let his head sit on my shoulder. I'm like, I've got to get him changed and get him down so I get stuff done because I have things need to get done. And... The reason I'm thinking about it is because all week, this passage in Luke is about the mission of Christ. And I've been thinking about mission. I've been thinking about how his focus, this singular focus that gets revealed in this passage and carried on through the gospel of Luke. And I'm holding my son thinking, this is part of my purpose. But too many things pull me away from my purpose. Too many things, in fact, what I would say is oftentimes I am unknowingly choosing the less important. It's not that I'm like intentionally either a bad father or a bad friend or, or a bad pastor. It's not that I'm like getting out there going, what can I do that's not right? Not at all. It's more that I'm caught up. And I'm being dragged along with something, and I feel like I'm just I'm missing out on some things as I'm going along. And this is one of them. I mean, there was part of me that just I just wanted to stand there, but he stunk, so I couldn't. <laughs> I just wanted to hold him for a really long time like that. Um, what was the mission of Christ? And I'll tell you its significance. For us today, if you call yourself, as most of us, if not all of us do, I'm a disciple of Christ, then we're to be doing what he did. We're to be about the things he was about. And so as, as Luke comes in right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and we have this scene where he pulls this scroll and he starts to read we see something of the mission of Jesus. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. 
We're going to start in verse 14. He has been baptized. He has gone out into the wilderness. He has gone through the temptations. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Um, Luke gives kind of a little overview. He's, he's going through different synagogues. He's teaching in these synagogues. But now we're going to get a snapshot into a particular one. And probably what happens in this one is something he was teaching in others as well. Verse 16. And came to Nazareth, a very special place. This is where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And I'm going to stop there. I want to make this point. This mission that we're about to see more of this is something that is very, very, and this may, like, why would you even say this? Of course it is. It is very significant to Christ. Right? What he reads right here and what he teaches on, he chooses. Right? You see it in the text. He opens it to where he wants to read. Right? This is something that Jesus wanted to share with these people and likely was sharing it in other synagogues as he traveled throughout Galilee. Right, this is a message that he wanted to share. Um, there, there, at Christmas um, Eve, I was standing in the back as people were coming in. And, and not like the back here, I was like where nobody could see me. I was off in one of the hallways. And, and this is just a little before the service. And Trey happened to be back there, and he walks by, and he stops, and he says, hey, you okay? I said, yeah, I need some prayer. He goes, you look like you need some prayer. Um, he said, you know, what's going on? I said, this is one of the scariest nights of anything I do. Like, why? Because I have to preach. Well, yeah, but you, you preach almost every week. I have to preach to kids. And they scare me. <laughs> it honestly is the scariest sermon every year for me. I spend a ton of time on this children's message. It's like 10 minutes long because you all aren't that scary. They are. I think to myself, like, what am I going to say? They're all going to just go crazy. They're going to walk out on me. Or, I mean, what do I say to little kids? And I spend a ton of time on that particular message trying to figure this out. But what I give, the choice of the selection, is saying something about me. Right, we preach out of a lectionary. Right, the passage this morning actually um, isn't in it. Um, it it's, it's, the next, it's the second half. Uh, this is a two-part sermon, by the way. Um, you need to come back next week. So if you're visiting, just come back next week. Um, the, the, for today, the lectionary reading is the second half of this. But it starts right in the middle of the story. And so I'm like, I want to do the whole thing. So we're doing a two-part and doing the whole thing. But like, I didn't actually choose the original passage. It was chosen for me. When I choose something, 
it says something about me. It's something about how significant it is. Like, I want you guys to know how wonderful, how cool, how transformative something this is. Jesus picks this passage. It says something about him. Um, before we go on, this is just a side note. I know that a lot of you do not have a liturgical background. Um, you come out of Baptist churches, Bible churches, independent churches, Assemblies of God churches. I mean, we have people from all different churches. Um, I don't come out of this background. And there is a question that comes up at times from people, and so I want to see if I can answer it for everybody in this room right now. The question comes up like this. Why do you do all of these things? I mean, if you go to a Bible church, you're going to get six or seven songs and a 45 to 50-minute sermon, probably some announcements in the middle, uh, and that's going to be the service. And so we get asked, why do you do all of this stuff? I mean, why do you have these prayers and the confession and the proclamations and Eucharist all the time? Why do you do all those things? And here's the implication, because the early church didn't do all of those things. Why would you add all that stuff in? Do you know what a synagogue service looked like? They had readings and readers. They even had a lectionary where there were assigned readings. They had blessings. They had prayers. They had a bunch of the stuff that we are doing. This has been going on well before the church even started. And it got continued into the early church. We are not making stuff up. This is not brand new. If you go read the early fathers, you will see much of the language that we have in our Eucharistic prayers. The rest of it comes out of Scripture. Not in a, like, arrogant or mean type way, but I almost want to turn it around and say, why are you not doing it? I mean, this is what the church, this is what the Jews, this is, this is our heritage. Now, have we added things in? Yeah. I mean, it's developed over time. We don't do everything. We don't even know what the early church exactly did. We have no recording of a home church service. We just don't know what it exactly was. But we are following in the tradition of what has been handed down because the church has found value in these things. So, again, I have nothing against a Bible church. I mean, I'm great with what they're doing. I'm great with the way they're making disciples everything else. But we're not doing this because we just, like, decided to make a bunch of things up. We're not doing it, by the way, so that we can copy the Catholic Church. I've heard all kinds of weird stuff. We're doing it because it's been part of our history. All right, that was a side point. Sorry, nothing to do with my message. But it was in this passage. <laughs> I had to say it. All right. So, uh, point number one. Jesus chose the passage. It says something about how significant he thinks it is, and it says something about himself. Now, what's the passage? Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The majority of this 
comes out of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Um, there's, there's some of it that is lifted out. Um, not all of verse 1 and 2 is there, at least as we have it. Um, and then there's some of Isaiah 58 in here as well. Um, there's a number of explanations for why this may have been this way. Um, one possible explanation is Luke is giving what appears to be a sample of the teachings Jesus has been doing in the synagogues. And, and Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 have some similar themes running through them. And so this is what he was basically preaching. Now, did he pull out that scroll and read exactly this at that point? No, unless he added a verse in and left something out. Um, because it does have some of Isaiah 58 and most of Isaiah 61 in it. But all of it is the same kind of idea. Hey, this is what Jesus was preaching. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That me might be Isaiah, it might be another prophet, it might be the servant that goes through Isaiah. Right? Somebody, the Spirit of God is upon this person because he's anointed me. He has set me aside and empowered me to do something. He has anointed me. Here's what I'm anointed for. To proclaim good news to the poor. To tell those who are monetarily poor, but poor in other ways as well, disenfranchised, rejected, to tell the poor there is a good thing. I've come to bring you something that is good. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. People who, and by the way, they knew captivity. Um, this people, they had seen it throughout their history. They had been captive multiple times. Their greatest story is a story of captivity in Egypt. I, I have been sent, whoever this I is, to proclaim liberty. You'll be set free. You'll be released from whatever that captivity is. And I would suggest to you that there is a lot of ways that people are held captive. Not just in chains and not just by bars. But there is a lot of captivity out there. There is captivity that alcohol, our past, our guilt, our anger. I mean, we have a lot of things that are holding us down. And recovery of sight to the blind. Literally, absolutely, you see it. But also, like people who were in darkness, to see light, to see a new way. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that last part is almost, if you put it all in this context, most scholars place this as talking about the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is a word that is a proclamation, a shout. Right, but in the Old Testament, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, there was a year that debts were forgiven. There was a year when slaves were set free. There was a year of release. No matter what you were going through, there was this point that you look forward to, and when it happened, there was a release. This person, Isaiah, a prophet, the servant, and Isaiah, whatever it is, this person has been anointed and set apart by God and empowered to bring release to people who are poor and oppressed and held captive and disenfranchised. It is a beautiful message 
of a new beginning. Right? Think of that release. It is a new beginning. Alfred and Cameron had been married 50 years last year. But 20 years before that, Alfred began going blind. It took 10 years, but 10 years from that moment, he was blind. He could no longer, as he said in his own words, see the most important things in his life. His family, his kids, his grandkids, his wife. He was blind until February of last year. February of last year, he got a chip, a prosthetic, and a pair of glasses that have allowed him to see. He's one of 15 people in America that have gotten this. He can now, and in February, for the first time, he reached out to his wife. Not, not just reaching out until she could grab his hands. He could see her again for the first time in 10 years and was able to grab her hand. And his sight is such that he can't make out details. Um, it's, it's more forms and shape and figure and light. Um, but he can see enough that he can walk through rooms now without any help. And, and the reporter asked him, because he was talking about the most important things. And he's like, but how do, you, how do you find your wife in a room? And he said, oh, that's easy. I find the most beautiful woman in the room. This man was released. He had a new beginning. This was a guy who was in literal darkness. And he got a chance to step out of that and to feel that new beginning, to know what release is, to see life differently than he had seen it for 10 years. That, that's what this prophet says Come to bring release. Come to bring the year of the Lord's favor. Come to bring a new beginning into life. Whatever it is that you've been struggling with, held captive by. Except it was written sometime around 700 BC, and like we're not there. I mean, we're going to see next week even that they look at it and they go, oh, that, that's pretty. I like that message. Um, but there's a twist. Go back into your Bible. Verse 20. And he rolled up a scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Um, we're going to read in a moment a line. Um, it, it's likely that he taught. Uh, I don't know that he said what I said, but, but he taught. Right? That sitting down position, that was the teaching position. He sat down and he taught, even as verse 15 said, he went through the synagogues and he taught them. He likely taught, even though Luke doesn't record whatever that sermon was. But then he gets to the end of the sermon and he says this, verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, have you ever, um, how many of you saw Sixth Sense before you knew what was gonna happen at the end? You get to see that movie, and then and at the end, like, oh, 
Like everything changes how you just saw what happened in that movie and you realize, oh my goodness, he never touched anybody. All these things, it changed. You saw the whole thing, but it alters it. Jesus just taught on this Isaiah passage and they heard it. And then he says, and I am fulfilling it. Now they won't get the change, not completely. We'll see it next week. We'll see their response They won't fully understand what that really means. But he just flipped it. To everybody in this room, he just said, I am the one, and he is still alive. Amen? He is the one who brings release. He is the one who offers that freedom that is in that passage. In fact, it is his mission And if you start following through the gospel, if you have your Bible open, we're going to do some headlines real quickly. Um, Go down to the next headline at verse 31. Jesus heals a man with an unclean demon. Release. Freedom. Verse 38, Jesus heals many. Release. Freedom. He preaches more in the synagogues. He calls his own. Go to verse 12 of the next chapter. Jesus cleanses a leper. Freedom, release. Next one, Jesus heals a paralytic. Freedom, imagine you had not been able to walk and now you can. You weren't able to see and now he could see his wife again. Freedom, release, new beginning. His ministry is about this. It's not just that he proclaimed it. It's that he starts doing it and he shows it but he shows it in two ways. And the second way is very significant. You can keep just going through this and you'll see more of these, but I want you to go to, if you're following along, I'll read it. Um, Go to chapter six and go to verse 20. Because there's a different kind of release that Jesus offers that is not physical. It's not paralytic stand up. It's not blind person see, it's something else. But it is still freedom, it is still release, it is new beginning, it is a different way to live. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, here's what he didn't do. He didn't give him a bunch of money nor whatever the poor here. In, in, in Matthews, you've got poor in spirit. There is definitely a very uh, explicit spiritual side to that poorness. Um, Luke just says poor here. But as you think of the ways that people are poor, this does not fix the actual circumstance. It doesn't make somebody rich. If you are poor in your image of yourself, it doesn't just instantly say, oh, no, you are something else. But it does give you a release from the very thing that makes you poor. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. I am giving you something far greater than anything that would make you poor here. I'm giving you something that you can focus on that gives you a value that is far greater than anything you can get value from here. 
Blessed are you that are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Notice he doesn't pull out a buffet. Not to say we shouldn't feed the hungry, but he's focusing them on something. There is a time coming when you can be satisfied far beyond anything that you could be satisfied with here. And this message is all throughout. Because right now, we do not have full redemption. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer in some way. If anybody tells you otherwise, they are lying to you. You are going to suffer in some way, and I can guarantee you this. You cannot pray enough to make it all go away. As if somehow you have the, you know, the spiritual power just to make your life perfect. God does not heal everybody. God does not give everything that we want, which means we are going to have a hard time in this life at times. However, he gives us something far greater. He offers us eternity. He offers us someone who will walk with us through it. And I have seen this, even as Lori taught last week, even through the losses, even through the things we can't explain, God, others in the body, the spirit in our lives, that is all there as something even greater. Jesus offers release to everybody. Sometimes it is physical, sometimes it is spiritual, or is it emotional? But it is all part of it. That was his mission, culminating in the forgiveness of sin and the creation of a new people in himself, the body of Christ and eternity. And he's still doing it today, right now. And you know what we're called to? To do the same thing. We are called in Christ to bring the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the power of eternity, all of it. We are called to walk by those people in bondage. And I'm pretty sure right now, if we just did a show of hands, all of us are in some kind of bondage right now. Every one of us is dealing with something. Things we can't explain that are really bad, things about ourselves, rejection. We're dealing with things that we wish we could overcome and can't. Every person around you needs release. And we are called to be a part of it. We are called to be with those people, to be with each other, to give that message of hope, of freedom, of release, of love, of grace and mercy and acceptance that is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. It's what he is still doing in the world today. And we get to be a part of it.
Here's the problem. You can only offer so much release to other people without getting it yourself. This congregation, you're a bunch of really great people. I know, I can't even say it anymore. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, I used to be able to say I know every one of you. Um, I don't know every one of you now. Um, I may know your name, but I don't know every one of you anymore. But here's what I do know. I know a whole bunch of really good people that will go out of their way for others. They'll sacrifice for other people. They will give things up to make somebody else's life better. You can only do that so long when you're living in your own bondage. Because eventually, it will turn into bitterness. It'll turn into anger. You will start to wonder, why is nobody doing this for me? Because we need release in order to fully give release to others. Next week, we're going to talk about what keeps us from getting that release. As I was holding my son, part of what stuck out to me is so I have a nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old daughter, and she's big. I mean, she's like the tallest kid at her school. Boys, girls, all of them. She's the tallest kid at her school. She's a big kid. Um, but my big kid, um, oh, she's beautiful. Um, although a little bit um, less hair now. Um, this is my daughter's hair. And if you see her today, it's really short. It's like up to here. Um, but she cut it, um, and, and she actually likes long hair. She loves long hair, and she knows her daddy likes long hair, so she wants to keep it because that too. But she loves long hair, but she cut it because there are organizations like Locks of Love. Um, there are organizations that they take hair, and they give it to people who can no longer grow their own hair. They give it to kids who have cancer and are losing their hair because of chemotherapy. Um, but this is a form of release for others. It can be really challenging to lose all of your hair and be unable to grow it back. It can be challenging for these little kids because of what they look like and that constant thought of it being there. My daughter actually did this to, she didn't use these words, to try to help release somebody else from something that was holding them down. My daughter is a beautiful little girl that I am unworthy of. But you know what she wants to do? She wants to climb up in my lap still. She wants me to hold her like I'm holding my two-year-old. I can't. I mean, she's too big. It's like gangly and awkward and weird. And I'm just, maybe if I were like a six foot five football player, I could do it. I'm not. I'm like five, nine and a half. Thanks, Lord, for the six foot last week. <laughs> I'm this five, nine and a half kind of scrawny dude that like, I, I, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it with my son. 
at some point. I have a certain amount of time. I have a limited amount of time. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to waste it. I want to be about the mission that he's given me. And I know I'm going to screw this up. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to feel really good about this for a while, and I'm going to spend time with my kids, and then I'm going to lose track of it at some point. Um, It's what happens. But today, I want you to think about what you have, the life you have left. What are you giving it to? What's the mission? What are you called to? Christ had a mission, and he calls his disciples to that mission. Will you follow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your son is amazing. His compassion, his focus, his insight into people, his love, he was amazing. Lord, thank you that we have the immense privilege to follow him to be anything like him. Lord, help us to put our priorities straight, to recognize the mission that he was on and to center our lives on that mission, that you might use us to bring freedom to others, to introduce them to you, to show them that there is a love and a way and an eternity that can change their lives. And Lord, I pray this now over every person in this room. Help us as individuals to embrace that freedom, to let the truth of your word be real in our minds and hearts that we might find release in our Savior. And it's in his name and for his honor and glory that we ask it. Amen.